0: Good morning, Father Russell.
1: Good morning, Father Emil.
0: Are you well this morning? Good
1: in yourself.
0: Fine, fine, fine. Happy to have a little bit of a rain for a change.
1: Indeed, there was a nice downpour about uh, quarter past five this
0: morning. Yes, there you go, indeed. It looks, you know, when I came out of my, my little flat this morning, I thought, my goodness, we are in winter already. It was so dark. <laughs> <laughs> all right father russell let's have a look and see what you can share with us today i, I think uh, i'm very interested to know what the bishops were talking about at the secbc plenary and surely you've got a comment to make about that
1: yes it was a very full week um you know uh started off uh with uh, the opening mass uh, which was last tuesday and then on um Uh, Wednesday morning, we had the report of the president of the conference, Archbishop uh, Stephen Brislin, and in that report, he spoke about uh, many different things, um, pointing out uh, what the Church is doing, what the Church uh, still needs to do. Uh, He spoke extensively about uh, the situation in the country and how he was cautious about uh, the new leadership of the ANC, hopeful but cautious. And, uh, of course, spent a lot of time as well speaking about young people, youth, uh, after Many World Youth Day and the upcoming Synod on Youth, which is taking place this year in October in Rome. And then the bishop spent uh, time uh, listening to the Apostolic Nuncio, who addressed a number of different issues. He spoke to them uh, about Many World Youth Day and said that he hopes, because it was such a wonderful event and young people were so inspired, he hopes that they can keep the momentum going. He spoke about the absolute need for the bishops to develop a strategy for communication. He really emphasized the need for good communication if the bishops were going to offer a message of good news to the world. And he spoke about uh, the situation in the seminaries and the concern around levels of education uh, in the seminaries and, and what they uh, need to do. And then they spent time as well uh, looking at and evaluating Mini World Youth Day, which uh, was a great success, Although Archbishop Brisson, in an interview with me at the end of the conference said that he's not sure that what we were able to do at many World Youth Day is going to translate into World Youth Day, he still thinks that uh, we would have a lot of work to do because Cardinal Napier had been indicating that he thinks South Africa should host, host a World Youth Day. Archbishop Brisson seemed a little bit unsure uh, about that. They spent a day with the Council, the newly formed Council for Evangelization, working on the new... A uh, pastoral plan, which the bishops are uh, are going to send out in draft for people to to have a look at and to to comment on. Of course, the last pastoral plan I think was in the 1989 or so. Uh, people will remember that. Or certainly, will will called "Community Serving Humanity." It became a big, um, a big sort of a, a, a phrase for the Church in South Africa. And their new pastoral plan goes under the heading, Serving God, Humanity, and Creation, so we can see how Pope Francis has perhaps influenced this, uh, this pastoral plan. Um, and then, Father Emil, you know, they, they also had a big uh, celebration, the bicentennial celebration at the Church of the Beatitudes in, uh, in Pretoria East uh, on Sunday. And it was quite interesting because uh, the preacher, who was the first vice president of the conference, Uh, called Catholics to be prophetic, and he said we must uh, refrain from Zuma bashing because there's many other challenges in the country. And I asked him for clarity on that and said, well, surely we need to speak out when, uh, you know, things are being done wrong. And he said, no, he's not saying don't speak out, but he just feels that the whole focus has been Zuma and Zuma bashing and there's many other difficulties in the country that are sort of flying below the, the radar. Uh, that 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 you know we, we're missing out because the focus has become uh, Zuma himself. But even more interestingly, was uh, he had very strong words uh, for 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 the clergy. Uh, he said that um, the bishops had received a letter, and he quoted bits of the letter uh, from the dicastery. I think that deals with, uh, with evangelization or, or mission territories in Rome. And this letter had said that. Um, you know, there was great concern about a substantial number of priests who are being expensively educated at the sacrifice of the poor and then become lazy, materialistic, and money lovers. And uh, that this was not the kind of church that we wanted to form for the next 200 years. Now, mm-hmm. some priests took offense at that. And I also asked uh, the bishop for clarity when he said in his text, the substantial amount of uh, priests. And he said, well, there are a number of priests. Remember that, as he put it, one rotten apple can destroy the whole bag. And he said, while there are very many good priests, the bishops are concerned about uh, priests who seem to have lost their way and, uh, and uh, are not doing what they are supposed to be doing. Mm. And then finally, the bishops had an encounter with people of other faiths and other religions who as Bishop Palana put it, who's in charge of the Department of Ecumenism at the conference, he said that they came for a visit, that uh, the bishops regularly meet with other religious leaders of other faiths and of Christian denominations, and he said that the, these people were helping them to reflect on the past 200 years because they've shared uh, the, the kind of religious platform with a number of these religious leaders, and uh, they shared together reflected on the past two hundred years, but also looked forward and spoke about ways that they might collaborate together because many faith communities face the same challenges internally but also in the country itself. So mm. it was a rather full conference.
0: Sounds like it. it sounds as though it was a very full conference and very all comprehensive really. And uh Indeed, indeed.
1: Uh, yes. The the question is always now how these things get translated into action. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked a, a number of the of the bishops this, and they spent a lot of time then talking about the pastoral plan and how this has to, this draft has to go out. So they have to get feedback now from clergy and from religious and from laity, and they're hoping that you know people uh, in parishes and in dioceses will take a look at this and give them feedback mm. on the draft. And then... Uh, in August, when they meet again, I'm guessing that they will then uh, finalize the draft before this uh, document is made available.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember the last uh, Community Serving Humanity was had the, the the finishing touches done to it by Bernard Connor. You remember Father Bernard?
1: Yes, he was um, the editor of the Southern Cross for a while. He wasn't was, he?
0: he was indeed, yes. And it was nice to see that there's a fresh pastoral uh, plan that's coming to birth. And we look forward and with great hope to this new one.
1: Yes, and interestingly enough, I mean, they've decided to really take up a number of issues, which are, which, which are contemporary issues. Mm. So, for example, the bishops are talking about uh, young people in this pastoral plan. They're talking about creation and the care of creation. They're talking about racism and justice and the question of land. So, a number of contemporary issues seem to have found its way, well, at least have been spoken about. Uh, in the draft of this uh, of this document. Mm.
0: All right, uh, Father Russell, we must move on, I think, because he had so many interesting things to say and uh, I still look forward to, to learning more about what happened at the SACBC. And I'm sure when, when I see Archbishop Slattery he'll, <laughs> he'll give us a few ideas as well about what, what went on there. Can we move Indeed, on to it?
1: And, a- and, and, and on Spotlight as well, we put up, a, we're busy today, we'll go up another one. We did a number of of interviews of different bishops, so people can hear the opinions of different bishops oh, good. and what were the highlights for them of the, of, of of the conference in a mm. uh, little podcast.
0: Right, okay, Father Russell. Let's move on, if we don't mind. Sedimeni—that's been on the lips, on the tongues, and of so many in South Africa for the last number of months. In fact. What price human rights has to pay in South Africa? What well, I'm sure you've got a few thoughts about where we've come to so far with regard to Isidemeni. I see that Barbara Creasy, the finance minister, she, she said, that, you know, there was money available and money was paid to the NGOs and so on. Can you find a thread going through all this maze of Isidemeni? I
1: think, I, I think the, the, the one thing we, that has certainly... Come out of this Esther Many thing is once again how leadership has failed. Uh, And I, and I think in, and I don't want to just focus on political leadership because I think that's true in the church. I think that's true in the corporate sector. I think, I I think we're really struggling to understand what it means to be uh, uh, leaders. Mm. You know, the, 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 and the key to understanding the struggle is the inability to take responsibility for anything. Mm. I was floored last week as to how people like the former M.E.C., Kredani Mashlangu, could sit on a stand in front of the families of these people who had died, who, I dare say, were killed by uh, this move, and simply just try and pass the buck and take responsibility uh, for, for nothing. I mean... This points to a real deep crisis, not just in terms of human rights, but even in our ability to lead and to take responsibility for, for what we're supposed to do. I was, however, slightly um, heartened yesterday, or last night at least, to see Aaron Mazzoledi, the Minister of Health, making an apology, breaking down himself, and uh, uh, you know, crying as he spoke about this thing. But it seems as if from what Creasy said and Mazzoledi said last night, you know that the people who did this have lied and lied and lied again about uh, about uh, what uh, happened, yeah. and I'm beginning to think um, that the only way we're going to come to the real truth of the situation is if someone has an audit of the, where the money went. Because it seems to me that the money, greed has played an important role in this thing and that some of these uh, NGOs, no doubt that were paid, were offered all sorts of other kickbacks and things and the politicians themselves received kickbacks because there's no other explanation if people are saying there was money in the budget and the National Health Minister saying there was never such a policy to move these uh, patients. And I'm hoping that we see some justice done uh, Mm -hmm. because we did not see justice after uh, Marikana. And I want to say that this tragedy, without negating the tragedy of Marikana, is probably the biggest single tragedy and boil on, you know, the, the democratic area in South Africa. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you're quite right. You're very, very right. And I mean, I, I'm just amazed at how this has been going on and on and on and all the, the filth just keeps coming out. And, and, and so many people have been hurt and wounded and, and died because of, of of greed and all the sorts of things you're talking about now.
1: You know, in the newspaper the other day, I think it was yesterday morning, Star, or the morning before I read that um, some of the bodies of these people have still not been uh, recovered, or families still don't know where the bodies are, some sure. of their loved ones that were moved out of life yesterday, many, mm-hmm. that uh, the, the numbers that we are being given in the news are not necessarily the numbers. There are other stories still that haven't been um, that mm. haven't been told. Mm. This is a disaster. Absolutely. This is a, this is a you talk about uh, you know uh, criminal and um, you know and 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 sort of against the the, the very basic dignity mm. of 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 human beings. Mm. Uh, how some people could. Allow this to happen to the most vulnerable is is mind boggling mm. and I think it makes for a very scary kind of society mm. if that 's how we treat the most vulnerable in society absolutely i don 't know if you heard how uh, Mosoli was describing how these people were tied up with sheets and put into vans uh, to be taken off to these uh, facilities I just completely inhumane I mean, crime against
0: humanity you, you know you know father Russell. What what hurts me so much about all this is that life has become expendable. It's just there's no sacredness to to human life anymore. I mean, it starts with abortion. Now we see what happened with the Sidimeni, and and, uh, and just generally speaking, you wonder has have people just lost the appreciation of life as being sacred?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very good question, and and you raise a very good point. I mean, I hope that. In 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 those who, who are strongly pro-life and will regularly talk out against abortion. I mean, I think this is another important issue because the whole of life in mm. every stage. Mm. We, if we pro-life, we need to look after that. And right. and this is a pro-life issue. You're absolutely mm. right. And mm. and that brings it into the domain of the church once yeah. again. And mm. I really think that the church uh, itself and right. uh, needs to say something about mm. um, the situation uh, and and the the. The assault on life that mm. took place by not just simply politicians, but politicians heading up mm. health department, mm. the health department, which is meant to be, surely one would expect the medical profession, the health department to be pro-life.
0: Yeah. You know, um, I, I hope people are listening to this. And when they go to mass on Sunday, they buy the Southern Cross because there's a, a wonderful article exactly on, not an article, it's the, the editorial, in fact, of the Southern Cross of this coming week. And uh, written by Gunther Simmermacher, I think it is, who, who must have done that. But very, very good. Making the the points that we're just talking about now. Good. Okay, let's, let's move on. We're marching to the end of our, our program. The DA says postpone Sona and the SONA address until Zuma goes. <laughs> what do you make of all this now?
1: Well, you know, this is politicking in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, You know, that the DA has now come out and said that next week, I mean, the State of the Nation address is meant to be next week, uh, you know, next Thursday, week today. Yes. Uh, And I hear that, um, uh, you know, he's written to the Speaker of uh, the National Assembly, Balek Mbete, requesting for Sona to be uh, postponed. um, Because uh, the State of the Nation should be postponed until President Jacob Zuma has been removed from office Mm. and Parliament has afforded the opportunity to elect a new president. Right. You know, it's interesting. Baleka Mbete is no longer in the position that she used to be within the ANC anymore. So mm. in one sense, she's, she's a little bit more independent. It'll be very interesting to see how she handles the situation. Mm. But I can't see um, the state of the nation uh, being, uh, being postponed. And it seems to me that the fact that the DA is kind of calling for this might once again just entrench Mm-hmm. the uh, the ANC's position that they they are not going to give in to the the opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I, I sometimes wonder about the tactics of the DA to be honest mm-hmm. where, when it comes to these things. I mean you remember last year they were calling for the the the, the 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 for parliament to be dissolved which I thought was a very a dangerous sort of thing to be calling for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure you know there's I think there's an ANC la hauteur happening uh, Later this week, um, uh, we'll wait and see what happens. But right. I'm not sure that uh, postponing this is going to is going to be the answer. Yeah. Uh, they're pointing to the cost of it. They're pointing to uh, the fact that if Zuma is going, he can't really stand up there and give the the, the the government's vision for the country in the year ahead because mm. uh, he won't be there to implement it. But you know, we have to be very careful about these things and and always ask ourselves. The, the next question, which which is a layer down, which I think we often don't, is what's really going on here, and how much of this mm. is for the best interests of the country, and how much of this is, politi- is, is politicking, is, is scoring right. points.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 All right, and you know we've gone right over time, but uh, but thank you very much for those points. Anything more you want to say about this before we say goodbye?
1: Oh, no, I think um, that's it. I think that um, you
0: know that's uh, that's enough. I mean, yeah. I yeah,
1: you know. One, one thing, uh, Father Emma, which I think I spoke about on Tuesday afternoon when I, when I stood in on Changing Gear, yeah. one thing I think people should really go and read, and I mean, I think all the stuff about, about uh, Sona as well, and you know, News 24 reporting the other day that the National Working Committee has told the top six to remove Zuma, and then that's being denied. Uh, one thing people would really do well to go and read and reflect on yeah. is the Holy Father's message for World Communications Day which is available everywhere you can get it on Spotlight as well the holy father has some piercing insights into disinformation fake news the search for truth and how to discern how to discern what we read in an era where you know disinformation has become almost a, a way of life i think it's a really excellent uh, a piece to go and
0: read and to reflect on okay and that's available on Spotlight
1: It is available on Spotlight. Uh, We've got a summary of the text on on, on Spotlight.Africa. But, I mean, one could also pick it up, for example, on the Vatican's website itself. Uh, It's it's not a long document. It's four pages. But a really wonderful message from Pope Francis, and also just showing how in tune he is with what's going on in the world when it comes to the use of information and disinformation. And he says, quite strikingly, and I know we've gone over time, but he says quite strikingly, he says, in the scriptures themselves, right in the beginning of the book of Genesis, is where we see the first fake news, where the crafty serpent tries to trick the woman. Yeah. And sort of says to us today, we should not allow ourselves to be tricked by. The crafty serpent of fake news, and he goes on to give a couple of other biblical examples, like the yeah. Tower of Babel, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. But it's really well worth reading and yes. reflecting on.
0: Okay, that sounds interesting. Yes, indeed. Okay, then, very much. Thank you very much, Russell. Lovely talking to you again, and have a lovely, lovely day. Thanks, uh, Father Emo. All the best. God bless All you. Well. That was Father Russell Pollitt telling us about the SECBC plenary, esse dimeni, and also the Future uh, State of the Nation address.
1: Hi, I am Father Russell Pollitt from the Jesuit Institute, and you are tuned in to Radio Veritas, where we bring you the good news for a change.